Welcome to the Northwood Baptist Church Podcast. I'm Tommy Metter, lead pastor of Northwood Baptist Church in North Charleston, South Carolina. And today, I know exactly what you need. You need hope and encouragement. And it is my prayer that the message you are about to hear helps you find hope and encouragement in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Hey, if you'd like to learn more about our church, visit our website, northwoodbaptist.com, or follow us on Facebook. Now, get ready for a message that will help you connect faith to life. Okay. Ready? Welcome to the Northwood Baptist Church Podcast. I'm Tommy Metter, lead pastor of Northwood Baptist Church in North Charleston, South Carolina. Hey, if you're listening today, I know exactly what you need. You need hope and encouragement. And my prayer is that the message you are about to hear will help you find hope and encouragement in a relationship with Jesus Christ. If you'd like to learn more about our church, visit our website, northwoodbaptist.com, or follow us on Facebook. Now, get ready for a message that will help you connect faith to life. invite you to take your Bibles and turn back to the book of Genesis. We are in Genesis chapter 48 and 49, and in just a moment, I'm going to read to you from chapter 48, 48 uh, verses 1 through 6. So go ahead and find that in your Bible, Genesis 48 and 49. We'll read together in just a moment, chapter 48, verses 1 through 6. If you're new to the Bible, first book of the Bible, that's all you got to do. First book of the Bible is what you got to find. Go to the end of that book, you'll find yourself in Genesis 48. If you didn't bring a Bible, that's okay, because in the seat before you down the book rack, you should find a copy of the Bible. Pick that copy of the Bible up, turn to Genesis 48 with us. And if you don't own a Bible, take that Bible home with you. Read it. Learn about the God who loves you and desires a relationship with you. And here we are, 48, 49, which means next week we are done with the book of Genesis. Now, in the first service, uh, people clapped. And I didn't know how to take that. Um, but it has been it has been uh, just a wonderful journey. Hopefully, it's been helpful for you. It's been really helpful for me uh, to walk through this book and, and study it and to preach it. It's been really, really good. And I hope it's been good for you, too. And so we're in Genesis 49. I, I ran into Dr. Pete Link last night. And I don't know, some of you know Dr. Link because he is, he was a member here and now he's an associate pastor at another church and he's also a full-time professor at, at Charleston Southern. He's a, he's a Hebrew Bible scholar. Like I think he's memorized all he, whole Hebrew Bible and he can quote it to you in Hebrew kind of thing. He's a super smart guy. And I ran into him last night at the CSU basketball game. And he said, oh, I heard you're preaching Genesis 49 tomorrow. I said, yep. He says, that's the most important chapter in the book and I'm looking forward to watching it. I'm like, well, well, no pressure. Great. Thanks a lot. And so um, we'll see how this works out for us. But we're in Genesis chapter 48 and 49. Uh, we'll, we'll dive into the text in just a moment. So, so one of the things we haven't been able to do as a church over the last couple of years is we haven't been able to do international mission trips, which has been just a kind of a bummer because we were doing a lot of those before the pandemic hit. And so we're looking forward to hopefully this year being able to take some international trips. We have one plan for the students that looks like it's going to be uh, going just fine. And we've got some other plans for the year. And so just be listening out for that. But, but you know that, that, that COVID has kind of changed the way we travel and fly. In fact, over the last two years, I've only been on a plane once, which is, you know, I used to go on international trips pretty regular. I went to Nashville last year for the uh, Southern Baptist Convention. So I flew to Nashville that's the only time I've been on a plane over the last couple of years. And now we're getting ready to go to Israel. We're taking a group on a, a trip to Israel to, to see the Holy Land in March. And so uh, we, we, we're pretty confident we're going to be able to go. Israel's open up. They're flying there. So we're, we're looking forward to that. But, but still, it's been kind of odd not being able to travel internationally for a couple of years now. So I was reading an article this week about a young man 
man. Uh, he, he's a college student. He lives over in England, and he, he plays a sport. I don't remember what sport it was, but he plays a sport at a college here in the States. And, and so he was going back home to visit his folks in England. And, and so he, he booked his plane ticket and all that kind of stuff and, and was getting ready for his trip to, to England and then to come back to the States to, to go back to school. And so he made his way to the airport. And I don't know if you've flown internationally much, but he got into the international terminal and all those kinds of things, went through the security check and all you have to do and, and went to the specific gate where they were boarding the flight for London. And he, he, he sat there and waited and just noticed that, you know, there just weren't many people around, which you can understand. It was the COVID world. So not as many people are flying as they used to especially internationally and so so finally they you know they called for boarding and he he got on the plane and and once he got on the plane they quickly closed the door you know for some of us who've traveled internationally it's a process like you get on the plane and you're waiting forever for everybody else to get on the plane and put their baggage up and all that kind of stuff but within five minutes of him getting on the plane they closed the doors and and that was done and he looked around and this is a true story because he documented on TikTok, and his own TikTok has got to be true. So, so, so he looked around, and, and he was the only ticketed passenger on this international flight to London. The only one. Can you imagine? I mean, I, I flew uh, from China back to the States one time with the plane half full. And that was amazing, right? Just being half full because you were able to stretch out and all those kind of things. But he was the only one on the airplane that was a ticketed passenger. I mean, there were obviously flight attendants and pilots because you need those kinds of things. But, but so there he was, and, and they took off, and they made their way to London, and because he was the only one on the plane, I mean, he got all the food he wanted to eat, all the drinks he wanted to drink, whatever he wanted. In fact, about halfway through the flight, one of the flight attendants came and sat down beside him, and they, they started watching movies together for, for most of the flight. And so he just had this grand time. The, the only thing was is that, that, that I, I can't get my mind around this, they would not let him sit in first class. He had to ride coach the whole way, right? I mean, what kind of mess is that? So at any rate, I, I, I tell you that and think, man, I mean, I, I, I hope that happens to us when we go to Israel, that we're the only people on the plane. That'd be a, a really great thing. But, but that's kind of what's happened in COVID. I mean, just everything's changed. But if you think about it, for that man who got to fly all by himself to London, it's a COVID world, but what a blessing, right? And you think about it, that's what's happened in COVID. There's been some, some mixed blessings. It's been hard. But you know this like I do, whether it's COVID or something else, out of the hard stuff comes good stuff. Out of the difficulties oftentimes comes blessing. Now, I don't know if you know this or not. I mean, you probably do if you're a follower of Jesus, but God wants to bless you. Now, when I say God wants to bless you, I'm not saying it like Joel Osteen would say, right? Joel Osteen would say that he wants to give you a new car, riches, all those kind of things. No, no, no. God has something far better for you than a BMW in your, in your, in your driveway. You know what God wants to bless you with? Now, listen to this. He wants to bless you with himself. He wants to give you himself. That's the blessing of God, to live in the presence of God. That's the blessing of God. And that's exactly what Adam and Eve had in the Garden of Eden. Blessing. They had the presence of God, unhindered by sin. But then they sinned. And things messed up pretty quickly. But what we've discovered throughout the book of Genesis is even though people messed it up, that God wants to restore the blessing. He still, in spite of our sin, wants to give us the blessing of his presence. And so you know the story, just to review. He comes to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, and he says what? I am going to bless you, and through you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed, right? And then you think about Jacob. Jacob wanted blessing. He wanted blessing bad. He was willing to deceive and trick to get blessing. 
And he got blessing because God chose to bless Jacob. But at the end of the, his life, we saw it last week, what did Jacob say? Life's been hard, right? Because for Jacob, it's like many of us. It, his life was a bag full of mixed blessings. The good and the bad and everything in between. I don't have to tell you this because you know it, because you live it every day. Life is tough. But there's also blessing because you experience that every day too. So how do you live? How do you live faithfully in a world that's going to continue to be full of mixed blessings? The good and the bad and everything in between. Chapters 48 and 49 are interesting because at the end of his life, Jacob now is on his deathbed and he is going to speak words over his sons. God told Jacob that he was going to be a great nation. Jacob's name is changed to Israel. And so we're seeing it now as we begin to conclude this book. We're seeing the birth of a nation. And these 12 sons that Jacob has had from four different women. That was a wild story, remember? These 12 sons, they are now going to become a great nation. 12 tribes of Israel and Jacob is going to speak over them but even as he speaks over his sons it's mixed blessings because some of the things that he says to his sons are things as a son when you're there by your father as your father is dying these aren't things you want to hear it's mixed blessings but it's good and so I want to show you this morning as we walk through these chapters and we're going to have to do a lot of work real fast I want to show you three truths that you can hold on to in a world full of mixed blessings. Take your Bibles, Genesis chapter 48. When you find that passage, you're going to rise to your feet as we honor the reign of God's word together. Listen to what the Bible says, Genesis 48, beginning verse 1. Sometime after this, Joseph was told, your father is weaker. So, so he set out with his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. When Jacob was told, your son Joseph has come to you, Israel summoned his strength and sat up in bed. And Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me. He said to me, I will make you fruitful and numerous. I will make many nations come from you. And I will give this land as a permanent possession to your future descendants. Your two sons born to you in the land of Egypt before I came to you in Egypt are now mine. Ephraim and Manasseh belong to me, just as Reuben and Simeon do. Children born to you after them will be yours and will be recorded under the names of their brothers with regard to their inheritance. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this morning and thank you for time in your word. And Father, just to know that you want to bless us is a mind-boggling reality. You want to bless us with yourself. And Father, this Bible that we're studying is the story of, of your work and the lives of people, what you are accomplishing so that people through faith in Christ might experience the blessing of your presence. What an amazing thought to think that we have, we have the, the, the privilege of living in the presence of God, loved by you. Father, as you speak to us this morning, we're going to listen carefully. And we're going to respond to you in faith and obedience. In Jesus' name, amen. You can have a seat. So here we are. We are at the end of Jacob's life. Jacob is on his deathbed. And, 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 and if you think about it, what we're going to read about in, in, in this particular uh, section of Genesis, this happened to Jacob. Years ago, when Isaac was on his deathbed, he spoke words of blessing over Jacob. 
And now Jacob, as he gets ready to depart from this earth, he has the same opportunity to speak over his sons as, as he's breathing his last breath. And, and so he's been reunited with Joseph. Remember now that Jacob and his sons, they no longer live in Canaan. They live in the land of Goshen. They're going to grow into a prosperous nation in the southern part of Egypt. This is not what Jacob would have ever imagined. He would imagine they would stay in Canaan, but this is not God's plan. He's brought them to Goshen to prosper them in an enemy territory. And now here you have it. Joseph brings his two sons into Jacob. What Joseph wants is Joseph. Now, this is really interesting. Joseph wants his father to bless his sons. Now, think about this for a moment. I don't know if you've ever thought about this. While Joseph was in Egypt, he got married. But he obviously didn't marry a Hebrew woman. He married an Egyptian. And married to this Egyptian woman, they had two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh. And for all intents and purposes, they were Egyptian. I know their father, Joseph, was Hebrew, and so they you know, had Hebrew blood in them. But think about it. They grew up in Egypt with an Egyptian mom, an Egyptian family. They grew up in, 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 in the most powerful nation on the face of the earth, and, and they had access. I mean, think about it. Their dad, Joseph, right? He's second in charge in Egypt. Uh, they had access to power. They had access to privilege. They had access to the best that life had to offer. And, and if you think about it, they could have had a better life than Joseph. Joseph grew up in a family where he was hated, he grew up in a family that, that, that tried to kill him and ultimately sold him into prison or sold him into slavery instead. Now is Joseph's opportunity to give his sons what he did not have, a better kind of life in Egypt, in prosperity. But he brings his sons to his dad and says, Dad, bless them. And look at what it says. I mean, come on, this is really interesting to me. You come down and you look at what it says again right there in verse four. He said to me, I'll make you fruitful and numerous. I'll make many nations come from you and I will give this land to, uh, as a permanent possession to your future descendants. Your two sons, this is Jacob speaking to Joseph, your two sons born to you in the land of Egypt before I came to you in Egypt are now mine. Do you see this? Jacob doesn't just speak words of blessing over them. He's going to do that when we get later into the chapter. What he does is he adopts them. Do you understand? And and remember now, remember who the Hebrew people are. In the eyes of the Egyptians, the Hebrew people are what? Detestable because they're shepherds. And and Joseph has already told Jacob that. Let's go tell Pharaoh that you're shepherds because because they'll leave us alone. Do Do you see His sons, Joseph's sons, have a privileged life. But Joseph is is wanting his sons to not have a privileged life. He wants them to have a detestable life. Why? Because Jacob, Joseph's father, bears the covenant of God. And it's much better to be in the family of God than to live outside of the family of God in Egypt in prosperity. And so Joseph says, take them. Call them yours. Let them have a detestable life. Let them be a part of the family of God. Now look around this room, right? Look around this room. Because you think about Jacob's family, they're messed up people, right? You know some messed up people in this room, don't you? Uh, You you don't have to look at them too hard, but you know that. 
That, that in this room, man, we're, we're much like Jacob's family. We have our own flaws, our own problems, but, but you know that even though we're full of our own problems, our own flaws, and all those kinds of things, we all collectively belong to the family of God. That's who we are. We've been adopted into the family, much like Ephraim and Manasseh were adopted into Jacob's family. Let me show you something else. This is real interesting. Take your Bibles and turn just real quickly, if you can, to 1 Chronicles chapter 5. 1 Chronicles chapter 5. Go to the right of Genesis, quite a few books, and you'll find yourself in this Old Testament book. And and I want to read a passage to you just really quick. And um, if you can't find it fast enough, that's okay. Just listen carefully. I don't think I can find it. Here we go. First, I'm having problems today with my Bible. First Chronicles chapter 5. Listen to verse 1. These were the sons of Reuben the firstborn. So Reuben's the firstborn, right? He was the firstborn, but listen to this. But his birthright was given to the sons of Joseph, son of Israel, because Reuben defiled his father's bed. Do you hear it? Not, now watch, this is so interesting. Not only does Jacob adopt Joseph's sons into his family, but he gives them along with Joseph the position of firstborn. They will receive a double portion of the inheritance. Is this good? You go on further in Genesis chapter 48. And um, for the sake of time, I just want to summarize what takes place. Jacob places his hands on their heads. But Joseph doesn't like the way that his dad places his hands on his son's heads. Because he, he, he places the, 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 the right on um, Ephraim and the left on Manasseh. But Manasseh is the firstborn. And so it should be the other way around. Manasseh should get the bigger blessing. Sound familiar? Remember when Jacob's mom, Rebecca, heard from God, the older will serve the younger? History is repeating itself. Jacob tries to challenge his dad. Dad, you got it all wrong. You're, you're old. You're dying. I think you've gone blind. It's not the way it's supposed to be. Put your right hand on, 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 on Manasseh's head, not Ephraim. And, and Jacob essentially says to Joseph, nope, hands off, right? Let me do it my way, God's way, because this is what God's going to do. God is going to make Ephraim into a, a, a great people, and he does. As you read on into the Old Testament, Ephraim becomes a powerful tribe in the northern kingdom of Israel. You see? Interesting. I'll tell you all that to, to, to stop for a moment and, and talk to you about this. Here's the first truth I want you to hang on to this morning in a life full of mixed blessings. Listen to this. You can't control your circumstances, but you can pass on your faith in the God who controls all circumstances. Now, let me break this down for you. Jo- jo- Joseph had no control over his circumstances. If Joseph were to write his own story, he would not have written into his story, let me get sold into slavery. Let me get accused of sexual harassment. Let me be thrown into a prison to be forgotten. That's not the story that Joseph would have written for himself, but that was the story God wrote. And now when Joseph's dad, Jacob, is on his deathbed and, and Joseph isn't far behind, what does Joseph want? He wants his children to know this God who brought him through some really odd and painful circumstances. Joseph's intention was not to pass on Egypt to his sons. His intention was to pass on what? His faith in God. And let me just tell you, I I know that in this room, we've got all kinds of crazy circumstances we go through, right? We've got all kinds of hardships and burdens, but at the end of the day, listen to this, listen to the day, you must choose to pass on the best life rather than a better life. Because we look at our circumstances and we say what? My life hasn't been so good. 
It's been hard. Much like Jacob, we might say, man, my life has been tough. And so what do we want? What do we want for our children? What do we want for our grandchildren? What do we want for our friends? What do we want for people that we love? Listen, you know this. What we want is we want for those that we love to have what? A better life than what we had. And some of us, we will drive ourselves crazy trying to give people that we love a better life than what we had, especially our children and our grandchildren. We, we want them to have the opportunities that we didn't have. We don't want them to struggle and suffer like we did. And so we are trying our hardest every day, working 60 hours a week, 70 hours a week, driving our kids to ball practice, spending months and months at travel ball or educational things or whatever, because we want our kids to have what? Opportunity, a better life than what we had. But that better life, what you're trying to give them, if it is devoid of Jesus Christ, it is not a better life. It is a hell-bound life. Do you hear me, my friend? Your goal in life is not to give your kids a better life or your grandchildren a better life or the people you love a better life. Your calling on your life is to give people you love the best life. And the best life you can give someone is a life that is in the center of God's will through a relationship with Jesus Christ. And that won't always be a better life because there might be all kinds of hardship wrapped up in following God because God has a different plan than what you have, you see? So stop. And, and you think about it this way, right? I must choose God's way with my family rather than my way because, because here's what happens. We are so passionate about giving those we love, our children, our spouse, our grandchildren, whatever case may be, about giving them a better life that we just don't think about God's will. We don't think about what God wants for them. All we can think about is what we want for them. I don't want them to struggle. I want them to have an easier life. I want their life to be good, better than mine was when I was growing up. And it may be this morning that what God is saying to some of you is the same thing that Jacob told his son Joseph. Hands off. Listen, hands off. Because I I don't know if you know this or not, but if you don't know this, you need to know this morning. Ultimately, those people that you love, whether it's your children or your grandchildren or somebody else, they ultimately do not belong to you. They belong to God. And God's desires and God's will for their lives is much greater and much more significant than yours. And so it may be this morning that God is saying to some of us, especially as parents or grandparents, hands off. Let me have my way in their lives because that will lead them to the best Life. And for some of us, including myself, it is a constant evaluation that we need to undergo. Am I trying to control the destiny of the people I love, my kids, or am I letting God control their destiny? Am I letting Him have His way, or, if I, or am I trying to play God with their lives myself? You see, my friend, your kids don't need a better life. Your, your friends don't need a better life. They need the best life. And that comes from a relationship with Jesus Christ. Years ago, I, I went on a mission trip to Russia. I've been to Russia a number of times. And on this particular trip to Russia, I was telling uh, some of the guys I disciple of this on, on Friday morning. On this particular trip, um, we were introduced to our translators. And, 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 and every time we go to Russia, we're, we, we can't speak the language, obviously. And so we, we hire translators. And, and most of the time, those translators are believers in Jesus Christ. But on this particular trip, one of those believing translators thought it would be a good idea for us to hire one of her friends who was a translator who was not a believer. His name was Alex. He was 15 years old. 
His dad was a dentist, or is a dentist, and Alex did not know Jesus. But he knew English, like he knew English well. Like if you were to, to meet Alex here in the States somewhere, you would have no idea he was from Russia. He had no accent whatsoever. You know how he learned English? It was amazing. He learned English by watching American television. You can imagine the education that he got, right? I mean, I mean he, he knew things about American culture that I did not know, nor did I need to know. I mean, it was, it was amazing the conversations that we had. I mean, he, he was just as secular as secular could be. And, and, and so over the course of the trip, I mean, we just fell in love with the boy. Uh, I was there with a, a group of about 10 people and the four or five of us guys that were there, uh, we, we just fell in love with him. And we wanted him to know Jesus. And so we began to just over the course of that trip, because, you know, he was with us as our translator. I mean, he had to talk to us. And so, so we just shared the gospel with him day in and day out. And he was resistant. And one thing he wanted, and I think the reason why he, he wanted to be on this trip translating for a bunch of Christian Americans is he wanted to come to America. Because in that culture, I mean, they kind of think, if I can get to America, all my dreams will come true. What, what Alex wanted, he wanted a better life. And a better life was getting here. Now, we couldn't get him here. But we shared the gospel with him day in and day out. And I still remember very vividly, uh, right before we left, we were in the parking lot of the, the little church that we had partnered with that week. And we were loading our um, luggage on the vans to go to the airport to leave Volgograd to come back to the States. We had been with Alex all week. We'd shared the gospel with him. He had not trusted the Lord. And I, one more time, was just sharing with Alex, man, We've loved being with you. We love you. And there's a God who loves you. Will you please place your faith in Jesus Christ? And he didn't. And we left Russia knowing that he was lost. Now, I kept up with him. We, we, we messaged back and forth through Facebook for a while and all those kinds of things. But you know how it goes. It's hard to keep friends on the other side of the world. So after you know, a, a year or so, we, we kind of lost touch with each other. We went back uh, another time. It was a couple years later. And we went back to that little church in Gorodish where we had um, uh, partnered with. And we went back into the worship center to meet who our translators would be that week. When we got there, Alex was back. He was now 17 or 18. He was getting ready to go to dental school. And I saw him. He came up to me and he hugged me. He said, Tommy, I gave my life to Jesus. When we were there that first trip, we could not get him what he wanted. What he wanted was a better life. He wanted to come to the States. But can I tell you, through the witness that, that my brothers and I gave to him that week, and then after we left, other people coming in and pouring into him, you know what he got? The best life. A life with Jesus Christ. You see, you're not, only, you're not always going to know your circumstances. You're not always going to know what's going to happen in life. And, and you might want to give people you love a better life because your circumstances weren't what you wanted them to be. You can't always give people a better life, but you can always give them the best life in Christ Jesus. I mean, we gotta move. We're gonna run out of time. Let's go. So you can't control your circumstances, but you can pass on your faith. You can't undo your sinful choices from yesterday, but you can live by faith today. This is so interesting. Come back and let me show you something. You're in the chapter 49. Now, Jacob is speaking to his sons. He's already blessed Joseph and his two sons. He's gonna bless Joseph even further as we get to the end of, of chapter 49. But let me show you what happens. He first speaks to Reuben. He says, Reuben, you are my firstborn. Reuben was powerful. But look at what he says in verse four. You don't want your dad saying this to you before your dad dies. Turbulent, turbulent as water, you will not excel because you got into your father's bed and you defiled it. 
he got into my bed. I don't know if you remember this or not. It's kind of a, a, a twisted story. But back in Genesis chapter 35, Reuben slept with one of Jacob's wives. That wife that Rachel gave them, a concubine. It's not a good idea. And so now Jacob, in his dying words, Reuben were, you know what? You get nothing. You defiled my bed. And, and, and so Reuben, if you were to read about the tribe of Reuben later on in Scripture, there is no significant person that comes out of the tribe of Reuben. Uh, no, no, no prophet, uh, no king, no judge. But come on, it gets more interesting. Simeon and Levi are brothers. You remember Simeon and Levi and their story, don't you? Uh, their sister Dinah was defiled. She was raped. And in an act of revenge, they killed all the men in Shechem. It was a horrible story. As, as Simeon and Levi, they took matters into their own hands and they sought revenge on that people that had done bad to their sister. But look at what Judas, or excuse me, look at what Jacob says. And you don't want your dad saying this about you either. Man, never enter their council. Man, never join their assembly. Uh, for in their anger they kill men. And, and on a whim they hamstring oxen. Their day anger is cursed, for it is strong, and their fury is cruel. I will disperse them throughout Jacob and scatter them throughout Israel. And you might know this. Simeon will become the weakest tribe of the twelve. And Levi, the tribe of Levi, they would not receive a single portion of the land. Not what you want your dad saying to you. But then you come to Judah. Now, you remember Judah. Judah seemed to be just as bad as Reuben and Simeon and Levi. So bad, in fact, you remember the story in Genesis chapter 38. And I know I'm reviewing, but just hang with me. Back in chapter 38, right? When his son did not do the duty he was supposed to do, right? Then Judah, what did he do? He went out and slept with a prostitute, not knowing that that prostitute was his daughter-in-law terrible story but at the end of that story Judah says something remember he says she is better than I am and that will begin in Judah's life a path of transformation such a great transformation in fact that we saw it just a couple weeks ago that that there would come a day where Joseph and they didn't know it was Joseph remember the story would want Benjamin as a prisoner and Judah would say nope 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 my life for his And so this Judah, who in his past had not only committed sin with what he thought was a prostitute, but who also had sold his brother into slavery, he led the charge in that. He will say, no, 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 not his life, but my life, and desire to give his life in exchange for his brother Benjamin. And we said a couple weeks ago, in that moment, Judah looked a whole lot like Jesus, because that's what Jesus has done for us. He said to his heavenly father, my life for their life. God began to do a transforming work in Judah's life. And it's unexpected because Judah was a scoundrel. He was evil. But but this transforming work that God would do through Judah would be so magnificent that ultimately God would bring his son, the lion of Judah, Jesus Christ, through the lineage of this man that he transformed by his grace. Look at what what Jacob says. We've got to move fast, but look at what it says. Judah, your brothers will praise you, verse 8. Come down to verse 10. The scepter will not depart from Judah or or the staff from between his feet until he whose right it is comes and obedience of the peoples belong to him. This is a great verse. He ties his donkey to the vine and the colt of his donkey of the choice vine. He washes his clothes in wine and his robes in the blood of graves. How many of you did your laundry last night in a few bottles of wine? If you did, you need to come to my office when you sit down and have a talk, right? But, but here's what he's saying. 
Jacob is saying to his son, there is going to come through your lineage a Messiah. And he will bring such total victory that the land will be so abundant that you can wash your clothes in wine. Not that you'd want to do that, but you could. You can take your donkey and you can tie him up at the vine. He can drink all the wine he wants because there's enough for everybody, right? And that day is yet to come. There's yet to come this final victory of our Savior from the lion, from the lineage of Judah, the lion, lion of Judah, who's going to bring, when he returns, this ultimate victory that there will be an abundance in his presence forever and ever. This is so good, you see? And what we're learning here is, is you can't undo your sinful choices from yesterday. Judah had a sordid past, right? But something happened. Transformation. You can live by faith today. You got to hear this because what happens in your life and my life is we get stuck in the same cycle of sin that Judah got stuck in. Hurt. Judah was hurt by his dad because he wasn't the favorite son. Joseph was. He was hurt by his own son because his own son didn't do what he was supposed to do. And when you get hurt, what do you tend to do? You hurt others. And that's what Judah did. He hurt his brother Joseph. He, he hurt that, that, that daughter-in-law. When you're hurt, you respond by doing what? Hurting other people. When someone does you wrong, when that spouse does you wrong, you want them to just feel a little bit of the pain that you're feeling. When that coworker does you wrong, you want them to hurt kind of like you're hurting. And so we put plans in place to, 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 to get some revenge. We might respond to that hurt with a biting word that goes straight to the heart. We are a people who give hurt for hurt. And then what does that produce? Guilt. Then we feel bad about it. But it's too late, I mean, because, because we're not going to swallow our pride and actually apologize for it, are we, right? And so there's this never-ending cycle, it seems, of hurt and guilt. Hurt and guilt. But in Genesis chapter 38, the grace of God broke the cycle. And then let me just tell you this, right? In your life right now, you might find yourself in a similar cycle, hurt and guilt, hurt and guilt. Someone did something to you and caused tremendous hurt, and now your goal has been to hurt them back. Stop. Break the cycle, right? Because listen to this. Today, you can, be quit, you can quit being haunted by your past. You can learn and move on in faith. That past hurt that's been caused by you, you don't have to let it affect your present decisions today. You can anticipate a different kind of future. And how do you do that? How do you move past the hurt? How do you break the cycle? You let the grace of God intervene in your life today. And you believe that he has better for you. And then, and I know this isn't gonna be, you know, rocket science or, 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 or really, really deep kind of stuff, but, but this works. Let me just tell you this works. Do you know how you break the cycle? One Christ-honoring decision after the next. That's it. If you would choose to make choices that honor Jesus, to forgive those who've hurt you, right? To bless those who've hurt you, to follow him faithfully, to grow in the fruit of the Spirit, if you would make Christ-honoring decision after Christ-honoring decision as a child of God, it will break the cycle. And you can anticipate a, a future, right? Where you're being a blessing instead of being a curse to others, you see. 
You can't undo your sinfulness. You can't undo your past, right? But you can live by faith today. Let me show you the, the last truth and we're done. You have mistakes you've made. You've made your mistakes, but God can bring blessings even out of your biggest mistakes. This is where it gets really interesting to me. Now, again, for the sake of time, I, I can't cover all these verses, but let me just summarize for you that, 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 that Jacob speaks over each son, and again, it's a mixed bag of mixed blessings, but he comes down to Joseph, and the, 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 the most attention in the passage is given to Joseph, and you can understand why. This is Jacob's favorite son, but also what God has done through Joseph. And so Jacob says, the shepherd has guided you, right? You, you, you've been mighty. The hand of the mighty one has been upon you, right? And he speaks over him. And what's going to happen from this point forward is Jacob's going to die. Joseph's going to die too. They're all going to die. But God is going to do what he said he would do. These 12 sons of Jacob, God is going to build a great nation through them. But they're never going to get it right. The people of God, this great nation that God is going to build, this nation that's going to be in captivity in Egypt for 400 years and then delivered through a Red Sea by a a powerful act of God, brought through the wilderness into the promised land to establish a land, they're never going to get it right. And it's going to happen centuries later. What's going to happen? That, That the Assyrians are going to come in and take over the northern kingdom. And the southern kingdom, Judah, Babylon is going to take them into exile. And so this great nation, now come on in close, listen. This great nation that God is building, what's going to happen? They're going to fail. But God's not going to fail them. He's going to bring Judah out of Babylonian captivity. And he is going to bring his Messiah through the lineage of Judah. But I want to stop and just back up for a minute. Now, I know just as we close our time together, I want you to think about one of those sons, Levi. When you read Genesis chapter 49, cursed. The consequences of Levi's sin, now watch this, would follow him the rest of his days and would be passed on to his children, his grandchildren, his great-grandchildren, his great-great, every generation forward would suffer the consequences of Levi's sin. They would never have a portion of the land. But even though they would suffer the consequences of sin, God would bring about blessing. You know this, don't you? There's consequences for your sin. All your sins are forgiven for sure. But if you cheat on your wife, there's going to be a consequence for that. If, if you steal from your job, there's going to be a consequence for that. There are consequences for your sin. And sometimes the best thing you can do instead of trying to escape the consequences is just accept it. And say, you know what? I've messed this up. God, forgive me. And sometimes those consequences, they go on for generation after generation, do they not? In fact, and I know we don't want to talk about this, but there's some of you here this morning in this room, you're still facing some of the consequences of your parents' actions years ago or even your grandparents' actions. Sometimes those consequences, they do get passed on generation after generation. And sometimes it might feel like, man, my family is cursed because of what my grandfather did. But let me tell you, right? Yes, you will experience the consequences of your sin. And sometimes those consequences are far-reaching. But 
as a child of God, what do you know to be true? God is never done with you. And in those consequences of sin, oftentimes what will rise up is a new opportunity. Let me explain. Levi. No land. But what did they get to do? Every single day touch the holy things of God because the tribe of Levi was put in charge of what? The temple, the tabernacle. The priest of Israel came. Do you see this? Oh, Levi in Genesis, he messed things up royally, but God will redeem the the tribe of Levi by allowing them to minister in the presence of God in the temple. They will teach people how to worship. They will offer sacrifices on an altar. And ultimately, now watch this, ultimately, because this is what the sacrificial system in the Old Testament does. Ultimately, the tribe of Levi would point the entire nation to the redeeming work of Jesus Christ because Jesus Christ, the God-man, would come to this earth and live a perfect life, never sin once, and he would go to a cross as what? An unblemished lamb. And he would die as the perfect atoning sacrifice for our sins. And then rise from the dead three days later so all of us who place our faith and trust in him could have the gift of life, abundant life, eternal life. Do you see it, my friend? What God does in the tribe of Levi is out of the consequences of their sin, he brings an opportunity, an opportunity for them to do what? To point people to the truth of Jesus Christ through the sacrificial system that, 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 that they would be over in the Old Testament. Do you see? Sin is devastating. But if you're a follower of Jesus, sin does not destroy you because Jesus Christ has already destroyed it for you. And so in the midst of your consequences, and consequences can be painful, there is an opportunity for you to do what? Point people to the hope of Jesus Christ because you've been there. You've done it. You've had some tough days. You've seen how sin has messed up your life. But you've gotten through And you've seen God do a work of healing in your life, forgiveness and transformation. And now the opportunity when you see someone else going through what you went through to say, hey, there's a better way. Let me tell you how Jesus worked in my life. A new opportunity for you to point someone to Jesus Christ. You see what I'm saying? Consequences of sin are severe. They hurt. But even in those consequences... God can bring about an opportunity for you to be a blessing to someone else. For you to teach your children, mommy and dad, we made our mistakes. There's a better way. For you to learn yourself, there's a better way, not repeat the same mistakes you committed in the past, you see. And if you think about it, this is the story of Genesis in general. It's not just Levi's story. It's the story of Genesis. It's the story of the Bible. That God brings what? Redemption. He brings his son through messed up people. He brings his son in this world to save this world from themselves. Do you see? So my friend, don't for a moment think God's done with you. You might have messed up your life royally. Accept those consequences, admit it, confess it to God, and then ask God to help you to embrace an opportunity in the midst of this life you're now living. You see? You're here in this room this morning. And maybe this morning, you see it. You see how bad you've messed up your life with your own sinful actions. And maybe for some of us, for the very first time, what we need to do is cry out to Jesus. 
and say, Jesus, what I need is a savior. Save me from my sins and give me the gift of life, abundant and eternal. In the corners of this room, there are two crosses. If you've never given your life to Jesus, today is the day to believe that Jesus Christ died in your place and rose again from the dead so all of your sins could be forgiven and you could be given the gift of life. Today, my friend, is the day for you to trust Christ as Lord and Savior of your life. You, you can't be saved by coming to church every single Sunday. That's good. You can't be saved by trying to work your way to heaven by doing good things. The only way you can be saved to enjoy eternal life is to confess Christ as Lord of your life, to give him your life by faith, trusting that Jesus did for you what you could not do for yourself. He lived a perfect life for you, died for you, rose again for you. And now there's a gift for you. If you'll just claim that gift, give your life to him by turning from your sins and saying, God, I want what you have for me far more than I want what this world has for me. If you're watching online, you're gonna see a number pop up on the screen. Text Jesus to that number and very soon someone will reach out to you. We'll help you today begin a relationship with Jesus Christ. As we sing together, uh, if you wanna go to one of those crosses, there's gonna be somebody there to meet you. For those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ, maybe it's the day for you to say, you know what? I've been pushing people I love in the wrong direction because I want them to have a better life. Today, I'm going to lead my family to pursue the best life. Maybe today, you're going to come and ask God to help you do that. Maybe today, you're asking God to help you to embrace the opportunity he's given you to make much of Jesus, to point people to him. I don't know how God is speaking to you in these final moments, but I know that he is. You respond to him this morning. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for time together in your word. Thank you that you're good to us. Now, Father, in these final moments, I pray there's someone here who has never placed his faith or her faith in Jesus, that person will come trusting you as Lord. And for those of us who are followers of yours, Father, help us in the midst of a life that is full of, of, of all kinds of, of pain and struggle, a lot of it that we bring onto ourselves because of our own sin. Help us to embrace Jesus Christ. And help us to realize that, that he is the only hope in this life and he is worth living for every single day. We love you, Lord. We praise you. We exalt you in Jesus' name. Amen. Rise your feet as your time invitation together. You come now as the Spirit of God leads you.